Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. This is Season 2, Episode 7, and we are currently reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince backward. My name is Valerie, and I am joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Bree. How you doing, Bree? Hi, Valerie. I am doing okay today. I went for a run and then jumped in the shower just so we could do this, so I am feeling good. A little tired now, but pretty good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I will say, like, for me, working out always helps, like, clear my mind and get me focused. So hopefully that will happen. That's what we'll see in this episode. Uh, (laughs) But no, I'm good. I woke up really early. I had a weird dream, and I woke up really early this morning, and I was very productive most of the morning. And so I'm a little bit dragging now, but we'll balance each other out. It'll be fine. Okay. I have faith. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you are listening for the first time or you are just joining us for the first time in season two, a couple reminders. One, you need to go back and start at episode one. This is just not going to make sense if you jump in partway through this backward reading of Half-Blood Prince. And two, we are doing one chapter per episode. So unlike last season where we did a couple chapters each time we got together, we are doing one chapter per episode. We're releasing them on a daily schedule. So if you're listening in real time, you're going to have daily episodes to look back on. And we hope you enjoy that. Uh, As always, we look forward to your reviews and ratings. So we'll remind you again at the end of the episode. But if you like what you hear, we would like you to tell us that so that we know how we're doing. And so Apple Podcasts and Spotify know that we're also doing a good job because that's how they show us to other people too. Yeah, absolutely. The more reviews we get, the more likely we'll be around for season three. <laughs> yep, yep. Which is, I honestly though, saying that now, I'm like, most people hate that book. <laughs> most people, I know. Order of the Phoenix is their least favorite book. And so I'm not sure that that's a selling point, but we'll, we'll deal with that when we get there. We're going to have to be really excited about educational decrees. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and not just bashing Umbridge for like eight hours. <laughs> this is, we got to think, we got to come up with a strategic plan for Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we're not there yet, nope. so we don't have to worry about it. So this week we are covering chapter 24 of Half-Blood Prince. That is Sectum Sempra. And as usual, Bree is going to kick us off with her recap. All right, let's do it. So this, to me, is the chapter of love and hate. We spend most of this chapter inside Harry's head while a war wages on, obsessing over Jenny and his desire to be with her, versus his friendship with Ron. Meanwhile, Hermione is doing her best to convince Harry that his potions book, filled with notes from the Half-Blood Prince, is evil. Only exasperating her point, Harry, in a fight with Malfoy, ends up using a curse that slices Malfoy like a sword, while blood poured from his body. Snape is able to save Malfoy, but he gives Harry detention, causing him to miss the final Quidditch match. But not to worry, Ginny, our hero, wins the match a seeker and in celebration runs to Harry, who then kisses her in front of everyone. Woo! Yay! <laughs> and with that, the final sentence of this chapter is, The creature in Harry's chest roared in triumph. He grinned down at Ginny and gestured wordlessly out of the portrait hole. A long walk in the ground seemed indicated, during which, if they had time, they might discuss the match. <laughs> They're going to go make out, Ooh. in case you're wondering. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of making yeah, out. It's, it's, not, it, it's not like on the page, but it's pretty clear. They're not going to be talking. So <laughs> imagine what you will. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I loved this chapter. I was so excited for this chapter because again, I, I know this book isn't a romance novel, but I love some romance and we got a little bit of that in here. And I don't know, it was just sweet to finally see them together. And Jenny won the Quidditch match. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I know they say Harry's like the best seeker, but Ginny seems to do a pretty darn good job when she has to play. So. They needed 450 yeah. points. And she got them. <laughs> and they, yeah, and she got them. So. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the other things, I do love this chapter too. Um, it has a lot of elements of the story that I really like. It has Harry dealing with interpersonal stuff. It has Malfoy, who's one of my favorite characters. And it has this incredibly important turning point. It, well, it has Snape. <laughs> so last episode, episode six, we were talking about how everything important kind of has something to do with Snape. Here we get our first teaser, especially reading backwards, about why Snape knows to use legitimacy and ask Harry for his potions book because he knows this spell. He invented this spell. But I also love the photo at the beginning of our chapter. So for those of you, if you're reading along, we are reading the Marie Grand Prix versions, the ones that came out kind of as the books were released in the US. And at the beginning of chapter 24, there's this really cool little graphic of the cabinet where Harry hides that potion book and the old ugly warlock and the tiara, <laughs> AKA the diadem, sitting on top. And it's a neat little image inside the Room of Requirement, which we don't get a lot of visual representation of. It's only just written for us in the rest of the book. There's also a high heel in that picture. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about the Room of Requirement? Because mm -hmm. I'm so confused and enamored by it. You know, I like if I was going to hide something and I went in there, I would be like, what is all this junk? But it seems like it just stays there. And even though you can see it, there's all this crazy stuff that people wanted to hide and like evidence of all sorts of wrongdoings maybe. And people just are like, I'm too worried about hiding my one thing to see all this other cool stuff in here. <laughs> like luckily Harry notices the diadem, mm -hmm. but later, but not even at that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, and he notices the vanishing cabinet and we've yes. been talking about the vanishing cabinet. I think it was last episode, but what's super interesting to me is we said, well, Filch must kind of know how the room of requirement works because he put the broken vanishing cabinet in there. However, Filch goes into this room and there's all this confiscated or should be confiscated material. And he's not like Dumbledore. We have a serious problem with contraband. I found a room full of it. Like what conversation did Filch and Dumbledore have after he had to store the vanishing cabinet in there? Yes, absolutely. Like, that is like his gold mine for getting people in trouble. I mean, you've, let's even start with the sherry bottles from Professor, Professor Trelawney. Like she's obviously a drunk. She's hiding a drinking problem at the least. Like there's dragon eggs. There's just all this stuff. And yeah, Filch, might, man, his anxiety. <laughs> like when he goes in that room. I know, I know that he could... He goes in there one time and he's like, I can never go back in that room. <laughs> but yeah, as you said, a lot of what's in this chapter is interpersonal stuff, specifically regarding Harry and Ginny. But it also is the ramifications of the Felix Felicis potion. So we see right off the bat that Ron and Lavender have split up, which I thought was really funny that when Harry is lucky, Ron and Lavender split up. Like it, that's a direct result of Harry being lucky. It's, it's not Ron being lucky, it's Harry being lucky. <laughs> Nice. That's very true. <laughs> Although kind of his luck because Ron doesn't even want to be with her. So right, right. But it doesn't happen on Ron's schedule. It happens when Harry is using Felix to align the universe in a way that helps him out. True. I did like that. And then of course, Ginny and Dean also break up that is in this chapter. Well, we hear the report of it from Hermione and Harry thought there was a rather knowing look in her eye as she told him that. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, I love the know-it-all in Hermione because I am also a know-it-all. And I also, whenever like someone's like, I hate to tell you, I hate, I hate to say I told you so. I don't even say that anymore. I'm going to be like, I told you I would tell you so. And I am telling you so because I cannot help myself. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Hermione says after oh. Harry uses Uh I won't say I told you so, which is <laughs> telling him I told you so. Like you yeah. still said the words. It, it still happened. Yeah. <laughs> Just for a second, because I, I think this is going to happen a lot in this book, but I just want to talk about Ginny for one second, because we did talk about last last episode or episodes, mm. all the things that Ginny got from her like brothers, from her siblings and her family. And I really found there was a lot of that in this chapter, and I'm hoping we can pick up even more of that um, in the coming chapters, but coming, the, the going, yeah, the past chapters whatever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Time travel. (laughs) So wait, what did you pick up on? Okay, let's see. So page 518, the last paragraph, she's funny like the twins. So at the uh, Quidditch practice, Harry's like being kind of tough on him. And she's like mocking him and making fun of Ron and like being hilarious. She's a class clown, but people love it. Even Harry like had to laugh. I mean, obviously he's in love with her, so he's got to laugh. But they note also that she's popular. So if Harry doesn't hurry up, her and Dean may have split. But she's popular. She's going to get picked up in a second. And that kind of reminded me. I would, I think, feel like she's popular and pretty, like Bill, maybe. Like, Bill is supposed to be, like, good looking. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like maybe she gets at least the popular part. I mean, although the twins are popular, too, I feel like they're popular on their own terms. I mean, they're twins. Twins are, we love twins, but let's be honest, you guys are in your own world. <laughs> so twins are typically in their own little world. They may be popular, <laughs> but not in the same way. Uh, she defends her family like Molly. So whenever Hermione, it just won't shut up about how Harry didn't listen to her and how now she's in trouble. She's not only going to win the Quidditch match or lose the Quidditch match. And she's like, and what would you know about that, Hermione? <laughs> like literally like and Harry's like, oh, okay. And then, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the main things I picked up. But like, those are like several little just like personality traits that I feel like she must have gotten just from being the baby and being around so many interesting uh, characters in her family. Mm-hmm. She's like the amalgamation of all the Weasleys. Like she's the distilled Weasley, the ultimate Weasley. And what I love actually too, is not only the way that she behaves is a reflection of the characters that she's been brought up around, but she's actually really consistently described. So I don't know if you caught it, but last chapter of the chapter before we talked about uh, Ginny, it must have been the Flight of the Prince where Ginny is in the bit heat of battle and her hair is flying around her like flames. Well, here she's described with a blazing look, like a fiery... So she gets this same mm. like fire-related imagery discussed about her a lot for like that being... I think that's like the core thing that makes her Ginny and different than all of the other Weasleys is that she is like the, the, the most intense fiery one of them. And it's such a bummer that you don't see that on the screen because it's so, it's literally written. It's like literal on the page. Those are the words that are used to describe her. And she just doesn't come across that way in the movies, which made people not like her character when she's such a cool, strong character in the books. In every way, once she finds herself, she is in command of the situation and, you know, picks the pieces of her family characters to build herself into this really cool, powerful female character. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Especially the fiery part. Like, she is the best of all of them, including being a a powerful witch. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I dig that. (laughs) 
The other thing that I caught in this one actually was we talked about it in Flight of the Prince as well, uh, which was a couple episodes ago. This is why you have to go back and start at the beginning. The fact that Snape could tell that Harry was about to use Levicorpus, even though it's a nonverbal spell. Well, Malfoy responds the same way, actually. So I don't guess I don't quite understand the mechanics of nonverbal spells. I guess just like if you're waving your wand and not saying something, you can still be stopped. Like you, you can still use defensive magic against that because Malfoy also blocks Levicorpus. Even though it's a nonverbal spell, it's the only one Harry knows how to do. So anyway, I think we had talked about how like we thought maybe Snape was using legitimacy and I didn't quite understand what was going on. And I don't think that's the case. I think that when people do nonverbal spells, it's just obvious because they're waving their wand. And so the person that they're casting it on can actually see that and respond accordingly. Interesting. I don't think I realized that that was a nonverbal spell. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the only one Harry can do. Mm. Uh, speaking of occlumency, I think it's also interesting that Harry tries to use occlumency in this chapter and Snape effectively, as usual, just goes right into his mind and is able to see everything, particularly advanced potion making, which I kind of think is funny. I guess like Harry in the movie, Harry didn't ever change the cover of his book, but in this, in the book, in the actual Half-Blood Prince, he takes his new copy and like cuts the pages out basically and like swaps covers so that his copy with all of the prince's notes is in a new cover. So it looks like a new version, but I always, I always imagine it as the old tattered version that's in the movies. And I'm like, Snape would recognize it's his book, but that's not the way it actually is in this book. Yeah, I guess I thought that too. Like Snape was like wondering the whole book if that was like, why is he doing so well in potions? Like he knew from the beginning probably, or at least had an inkling. I don't really understand why he wouldn't just go take the book before now, but. Yeah, or I mean, I guess like what's, what's the point in him taking it, right? Like, does it do anything to take it away from Harry? Harry's still using a textbook. He can't help it that the person who wrote in it gave him a bunch of extra help. He can still use that. It's not against any rules. If another, if it weren't Snape, Snape would even know about it. So it's not like he would be able to be mad at him for it. But like, I guess he gets mad that Harry's getting credit for being good with something that Snape is actually good at. And as we discussed, Snape wants approval. And so this is like, dang it, Harry, like you're getting the praise for the thing that I worked so hard to do well. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think it's interesting that Harry, he's defending the book. He defends the prince to Hermione, where really he's defending Snape. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. I feel like we've been doing this a lot where we're talking about the similarities between Snape and Harry. Harry is enjoying the power, of course, until it goes too dark. But I don't know. And that's obviously what, you know, I assume that's what she was trying to do is show that they are connected in some way and try to maybe make Harry understand Snape or vice versa or something but yeah i found it interesting that he what was that he said just because there's a bad spell in here doesn't mean like they're a bad person and i I kind of like just because it kind of like like okay harry well that applies to snape aka the author of the the actual spell right and it it almost says that in another in another world harry and snape could have gotten along quite well like they if they'd been peers in school or if Snape didn't hate James so much or anything, you know, we obviously know that's not the world they live in, but they are more, you're right, they are more similar than they want to admit to each other or to themselves. I mean, which would make sense. I mean, Lily obviously did love Snape for a long time as a friend or whatever, we don't know, but it would make sure sense that they would have similarities. Um, one more thing I'm curious about. So during detention, Snape makes Harry uh, rewrite some of the um, punishments that children had to do because of what the crime they did. And a lot of them are Jamie and Sirius getting in trouble. And then one of them is using a hex on a girl, which I find interesting. And maybe, I, I didn't have time to look up. I'm curious if she was a Slytherin. But I do wish that we could know more about that because I do think their torturing of Snape is so interesting to me. And I think that 
Snape was using that to kind of torture Harry, which sucks, right? The the memory of the people he loved is now he's learning like things he probably doesn't want to know. But I don't know, like what were they really like as kids? They were Gryffindors. So we just, for some reason, we just passed them off as like good or like well-meaning. But they were literally in trouble for using hexes. It's like, how good were they? Mm-hmm. And even Dumbledore loved them, but... They're kind of bullies. Yeah, 100%. They're, yeah, they're kind of bullies. They are picking on other students it's not just Snape that they pick on. They they hex all kinds of people. <laughs> and that's sort of interesting to me is then if I were Snape, I guess I would, I guess I'm, it, as we talk about this, it makes a little bit more sense why Snape hates James so much. One, he was personally picked on by mm-hmm. James and Sirius. But two, he watches this kid be a bully and everyone loves him. And it's like for someone who's craving approval as a young man to see basically his nemesis, it'd be like, Malfoy getting a ton of approval from the teachers and stuff. And Malfoy, the only teacher Malfoy gets approval from other than Snape is Umbridge. And so as the audience, we have no problem with that. James Potter is in the good favor of Dumbledore and probably a young Minerva McGonagall if she's a teaching assistant or whatever. Like they're not getting in trouble for being bullies. And as, I mean, personally, that upsets me. I'm like, that's where whatever my strong like moral alignment comes into play where I don't I don't care who you are if you're being a bully you shouldn't be getting rewarded and praised and have social clout for that but that so it's like it's not just Snape maybe it's not Snape's hatred of James isn't just because of the personal bullying it's like no they weren't nice kids they were not nice and yet everybody loved them and that should not be the case like I I wasn't mean and nobody liked me and they are mean and people like them and so I become evil and you know why doesn't that why don't people like me now you know like you kind of like see a warped logic about how good and evil don't actually correlate to being loved so why not just do what it takes to survive basically well and he has an inkling that lupin is a werewolf he knows something is off and dumbledore basically tells him to like screw off you know like like what like i i have i'm i'm smart i have a great intuition and these kids there's something not right and you're just telling me to shut up and that sucks like that sucks yeah. And Lily does the same thing. Like that's what sort of divide, like drives them apart. It's, it's that final conversation that they have, which we see in the princess tale in Deathly Hallows is about him being like, but they're always sneaking off. And she's like, why do you care? And it's like, well, because everybody likes them and they're actually not nice. Mm-hmm. And I won't, I don't want people to like people who aren't nice. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> I'm, I'm again, speaking for Snape. <laughs> No, I am too. And now that's why I've always, it's so hard to like, to like James. Even when I watch the movies, I'm like, he looks nice now, I guess. <laughs> and when he's like a ghost, when he's a ghost, sorry. When he comes back to Harry, it's like a ghost or a memory or in like pictures. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else you want to cover from this chapter? Nope. I'm good. Cool. So this was a a bit of a mixed chapter. I mean, sometimes I feel like we talk about how some chapters are just like moving us through story and sometimes they're like building blocks of story. So it's like brick and mortar. This one's kind of a bit of both. we got some important things that happen. Uh, we learn some, well, we don't learn some important information. We get hints of important information regarding the Half-Blood Prince and obviously Harry and Ginny get together, which is highly important. But at the same time, there is uh, just a lot of exposition and information being given to the audience, which is which is pretty cool to finally get some of that. So With that, we are going to wrap it up here for now. We would love to have you leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us. You can grab your muggle wand, aka smartphone, and do it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast player you have if they have reviews. We take them on any platform. We also love to hear from you on social media. Yeah, uh, Bell Jar Pod on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Please give us a follow. Send me a message. Share our stuff. This is Valerie's favorite thing to do when I'm going to take over this episode. If you know someone 
that would love butterbeer, or you know they love butterbeer, then, you know, send our podcast over. If they love butterbeer, they're going to love us. So send it over to them, please. It's literally everyone, so you have no excuse not to share with people. Okay, <laughs> That's what she's saying. That's like, the, like who doesn't <laughs> like butterbeer? Come on. <laughs> that's very true. Okay, and with that, we will wrap it up. We will see you next episode. Thanks, as always, for joining us. And yeah, we'll be back soon. See you next time. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.